If you're a fan of big ideas, debate, and politics, check out our festival partner, Geopolitical Magazine Foreign Policy. A forum for informed debate about global affairs, foreign policy keeps a finger on the pulse of world news and political happenings. Beyond articles that delve behind the headlines via traditional reporting, Foreign Policy has so many other products to offer, ensuring that no matter how you like to engage with eye-opening content, there is a method for you. Check out their free offerings, like Foreign Policy Live, their forum for live journalism, newsletters, and podcasts. And with a subscription, unlock in-depth features and quarterly magazines, including their recently dropped spring edition, All About India. Fans of IAI will love Foreign Policy for more of the mind-expanding, insightful content that they seek. To explore their content, take advantage of an exclusive discount for IAI fans. Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything Foreign Policy has to offer. Hello, and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. This month, in the spirit of New Year's resolutions, our theme is Brave New World, Brave New You. So in our first episode, we'll be thinking about our health and well-being and asking, are hospitals bad for us? On the panel, our former leader of the Green Party, Natalie Bennett. The problem isn't just the medical system. The problem is the state of our society. Labour MP, Diane Abbott. But I would say, not that hospitals are bad for us, but the over-medicalisation of ill health is bad for us. Mental health consultant, Mark Salter. You know, Johns Hopkins, Baltimore, we need these places of excellence to think that the horror of illness is for a moment happening somewhere else. And psychiatrist, David Healy. Medicine is about poisoning and mutilating you. Now, once you remember that, you won't do too much of it. Roger Bolton hosts. David Healy, would you accept that hospitals are good for us in terms of accident and emergency, for example, being the place where if you have heart disease, whatever, the, you're more likely to find the expertise required? Can you say anything good about hospitals in other oh, words? Oh, look, <coughs> it's great that we've got medicine, but medicine is about poisoning and mutilating you. Now, once you remember that, you won't do too much of it. The problem is... No, what if I've got a broken the leg? Problem is right, hold on, I'm run over by a bus. My pelvis is crushed. I've broken a leg. Perhaps I've got a punctured lung. I really want to go to hospital. I don't care what you say. Yeah, yeah, I sure. I want to go. If, and, if you've got, and if you've got type 1 diabetes that's going to kill you, you absolutely want insulin. But you also want that to be delivered in a system where the nursing staff and whoever will know that you've got to test your blood. When you go to test your blood, you want to prick the side of your finger. You don't want to prick the pulp of your finger, because if you prick the pulp of your finger, when you later go blind, you're going to be in big trouble. Yeah, but hold on producing health, producing health is, m is about more than just fixing a leg. No, no, everybody's it's agreeing this, but I'm just being literal no, well, and saying a hospital's yeah. bad for us, and I'm no. trying to get you to agree, you may don't have to, no, 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 that no. in emergencies, no, certain no, no, emergencies, no, no. there can be a good a thing. Second. When I have a heart attack or you break your leg, we want an ambulance out there that's going to take us to the nearest hospital. Absolutely. But having 50 million cars in the UK is changing the climate in the UK and it's going to destroy us all. In the same way, we're changing the climate in healthcare. Yes, you want medical technology, but embedded in a system that cares. But if you don't have that, 
you're in big trouble. So your answer to the question, are hospitals bad for us? Not sometimes. Sometimes they are. Sometimes I'm a they're doctor. good for you. You want a person, when things are a problem, you want a person who can poison you with care. You want a person who can mutilate you with care. You don't want the mass poisoning and mass mutilation we have at the moment. Like right, type so 2 so we diabetes. Got so we've got nobody on this panel. I'm being ruthless here. We've got nobody on this panel. Type 2 diabetes. Well, hang on. Sorry, no, hold on for a second. second. No, wait hold for a moment. On. I want to check, right? Nobody on this panel is going to go with the proposition here that hospitals are bad for us. Yes, we are reaching I'll go point. with that. We are reaching Depending on what's wrong Let's fight the way through. So accident emergency, the ambulance comes, you've got to punch okay. your lung. Let's say no, you're take me anywhere but hospital. No, can we just drop this, this slightly you know, unusual idea of being run over by a bus? Let's get very common, not, like no, an, an elderly person with pneumonia, lung disease, liver failure, multiple complications, of which my catchment are area... You're choosing the best case to illustrate your position, but I'm simply <laughs> saying, is there... Uh, is there, are there no circumstances in which you would want to get ho into hospital regardless of the accident <coughs> you've been involved I in? I would like to avoid the hospital like the plague if I was an elderly person, of which an increasing number of population And that person with those multiple problems is sucked in, and their family watch them disappear into this vortex of investigations. And this test, and that test, and this test, and this procedure, and they lose sight of the bigger, caring, compassionate picture. That's and they question. die. That's and an you know what? The question. nursing staff are demoralised, and they don't care. They don't give a damn. Mid-staffs. That's David's the right there. That's a, hospital, that's avoid it like the plague if you're one of those people. So you people. never go to hospital in the future? If I was in those circumstances, ah, that's yeah. a specious reply. You are choosing, I'm you are choosing the circumstances. We are trying at this stage to say, are there any circumstances in which you would say, take me to hospital? Yes, acute appendicitis. Right, okay, that's all. So, <laughs> we, we've got there. I can so name 3,000 others if you're interested. It would be kind of a boring way to go on. But, uh, right, actually, all right, let's move on to this second area then, which is about what you want to talk about. So oh, thank well, you. Okay, can I just come in a bit of, in partly responding right. to Diane in terms of, um, I didn't actually say that we should spend more money on hospitals. I said we should spend more money on the NHS and traditional well, health care. So we should build more hospitals. Well, what we well, well, what we, well, one That's of the things we need to do is restore local hospitals, yeah. which are being taken away. We've seen a huge centralisation. We've lost the model of the local college hospital, of the local hospital in your community. I mean, the, the area of London that, um, uh, that I live in, we now have the Whittington as the great central place. And, and there was talk of basically closing it down. And there would be people who lived in Haringey in North London who, to get to the Royal Free, the next hospital, would have to catch four different buses to get across London. Now, I'm sure there are people in this audience and people from this area who can tell the stories of how hard it is to get to visit but your relative or friend in a hospital. So, so, so in terms of hospitals being bad for you, hospitals that are too far away from your home for your community are bad for you. Well, can we I focus on... Sorry. Sorry, could, yeah, I, could yeah. I go go back to this theme? That please, I'll come back to that, which is, and, and come to you on this, Diana uh, Abbott. Is medical technology an intervention dangerous? Now, it's clearly the belief of uh, the gentleman on this panel that quite often it is. Well, I, What's think your gotcha. view? I think it's silly to say that there are no circumstances in which a hospital is the right place to go. But I do think there's a danger of too much medical intervention. You've seen in the US... I don't in the US, if you're a woman, you're far, far more likely to have your womb whipped out earlier. Why? Because this is a, a partially sort of private system and it's just an easier thing to do and tick off and charge for the long-term treatment which might help you keep your, your womb. The, the United States medical system has a history of too much intervention, too early, because it's profitable and it's easy. But I'll, I'll give you another example of intervention. We have a 
big problem with obesity in this country. We have the fattest children in the world. And increasingly, consultants, you know, what a surprise, are saying the answer to the obesity crisis is to give people gastric bands. Well, of course. Yep. You know, now, that is not the answer to anything. There's all sorts of research that shows that a lot of people that you give gastric bands to end up obese anyway because you've not dealt with the root causes of their poor diet and their overeating. And I think in as much as medical in intervention it means we don't look at the root cause of some of our public health problems like alcoholism, like obesity, yes, too much medical intervention is bad for us. That one, and we're going to come to the questions about uh, poverty being the main cause of illness, but I wanted to pick up something that Natalie said because I want to know whether you think there's a relationship here between uh, medical intervention. You were talking about the appalling statistics that came out about uh, infant mortality compared to the rest of Europe, but is there anything to do with medical technology? Is it just that uh, in Europe and elsewhere they maybe have better technology uh, have you done any analysis? Does anybody know no, well why the statistics should be so poor here? This was actually published in The Lancet, and they had analysed it, and they said exactly the kind of points that Diane was picking up. We have a deeply unhealthy society, and you know one of the things that we could do in terms of tackling childhood obesity um, is to get rid of free schools and academies. Uh, because if every, every pupil went to a good local school as close as possible to home and they walked a cycle to school in urban areas, then we'd actually be doing something about the obesity crisis and that would be a health intervention. So we so have a deeply unhealthy society so and that uh, is a particularly British uh, problem. We'll come again, I said, onto this towards the second half of our discussion. We're still trying to hold on the question of medical technology mm. and intervention. Mark, um, I mean, what's the sort of scale of medical intervention which you think well, is unnecessary and damaging? Can you put it's a massive. It's massive, but we have to look at the reasons why. I began my talk with a slightly obscure reference to spirituality. Now, let me give you a practical application of that, okay? God has gone God as a source of illness, and now science will give us the answers. But the fact of the matter is that the new God, science, doesn't answer our prayers. We investigate the person's bum off, sometimes literally, until the point that we're not getting any answers. But we still go to these people with increasingly unrealistic expectations of a biological, simplistic solution. And the reason for that is that in the face of illness, we now think we deserve health as a consumer good. David's point. And we confuse health and happiness. There are, it's good to sometimes well, be sad and frightened, you, right? but uh, we want uh, a technological age, answer to this. My age, and prostate cancer thing. is the big thing, right? That's on yep, my brain. Yep, and, and that will know, make you damn miserable. And I, you know, As will deal, so will a PSA test if it's on. positive and you hold haven't got it. I agree, but hold on. What I want to know is, if I have uh, get prostate cancer, are you saying to me or, uh, that there's absolutely no point in uh, having any sort of operation? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I shouldn't if go to hospital. I don't bother with the test. Let's just what? stay with prostate cancer. PSA, right? It's a dangerous test. It causes more grief than it causes solutions. There are other things. That's not an argument in principle. It's an argument in practice. It's an argument in practice, and it stops people dying and suffering unnecessarily. But what you don't you think do, that however, any medical interventions can reduce prostate cancer. Then, of are you arguing can. that? Of course. Deep and X-ray therapy, androids to chemical castration, drastic surgery, and Roger. they will. Prostate cancer isn't going to kill you. The man who invented the PSA test said this was a it's disaster. It is. But there are and, and what we come to here is the issue of what we need is evidence-based medicine. And well very no often no that's no not... No, no, no. no, but that's what not what we're getting... No, 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 no. no. Well, Let me finish the sentence, please. I've started the sentence. I haven't finished it. Evidence that considers both the benefits and the harm. 
you know, we've seen in terms of screening for breast cancer, for example, there's now, you know, finally, decades later, some real consideration being given to the harm as well as the benefits. So the evidence needs to be, and, you know, I think this is a point where we're going to agree on, you know, we've had pharmaceutical companies who've gone looking for positive results and published those and not published the negative results. And so what we need is genuinely evidence-based no, medicine, and that's sure. not what we've got sure, now. Sure. But it's even worse again, and with two politicians here, really you guys have a yeah, major responsibility. Absolutely. The pharmaceutical industry has been let get away with running all these trials and not letting anyone have access to the data behind David, them. what we well need Well, I can assure you, it is yeah. I, I'm not going to be two-party political, yeah. but it's Green Party policy uh, to say they should have to but publish again, this the law. Well, let, let me give you a slogan. But you know, this you is not an argument. Sorry, this is not an argument about principle. It's about it slogans, is about the way clearly. the system operates, not whether potentially no, no, hospitals no, no, or on, medical uh, interventions Roger, could be worthwhile. What you need here is evidence-based politics. That's what we need. Yeah. No, Evidence-based management. Well, hang on a second. Evidence-based right. management. Okay. Hang on a Don't second. You, sir, right? Roger, le listen, you seem to be having awful problems here. Um, you're saying, in a sense, we don't want to eat again. Let me explain what I mean by this. What we've moved from 30 to 40 years ago was women cook meals for their children, for their husbands, for their parents, whatever. They produce meals, and these were pretty healthy things. When was this we, Wait a second. We moved, <laughs> we moved into... We moved into mass-produced food that you buy and you put in the microwave and that's all there is to it. Now, in terms of climate change, people have found it very hard to know how do we resist it. Do we not have a car? Do we walk? What? In terms of food, however, we've, we've done awfully well. In uh, in you know, there is a slow food movement. We've been able to resist the fast food thing. And that's what we need here. We need slow medicine. We need to resist the... Ma the Fast medicine that's been shoved down our throats and it's killing us. But hold you're on. Saying, no, you're saying, you're asking us to agree with you, or you're asking no, one of you? us to come out and say, no one should eat food again. May, may I tell you okay. what I'm asking you? Yeah. Right. What I'm asking you is whether, in principle, you rule out the potentially good uh, that might result from medical technology or intervention, or whether you're simply saying that it's in principle, that might be possible, but in practice, given the power of the pharmaceutical companies, whatever, what we can't do it. When one is principle. When you one go is along practice. to Tesco's, when you go along to Tesco's, there's a small bit of Tesco's that's that's fresh food that you can make decent meals from, and the vast majority of it, it is completely that's processed from issue. bread that's a different to packages. Issue. And no, no, but that's what most of healthcare is these days, and that's what's going to kill you, not your prostate cancer. Yeah, yeah, okay, but, but we're coming on to that in the question about whether we should take responsibility for our own health and we should eat better or whatever, but you're still dodging, in my view, this question about whether you rule out entirely any benefits that can come from hospital treatment, any benefits you're that come from medical intervention. You're asking me to outrule food. I mean, you know, the argument's wrong. There's been a change here from the kind of healthcare we used to get to what we're getting now. Okay, right. And okay. you're asking us to say we don't want healthcare, period. Now, it is getting close to the point where maybe we shouldn't have healthcare, period. Dan Abbott, uh, would you go as far as to say that poverty is the main cause, cause of illness? The main causes of illness, apart from being run over by a bus, of course, are the social determinants. And one of the key social determinants is indeed poverty. The Professor Marmot's report, major report on public health, he found that people living in the poorest neighbourhoods will on average die seven years earlier 
than people living in the richest Naples. Those of you who know London will know the Jubilee line. For every stop on the Jubilee line from Westminster, you lose a year in life expectancy until you get to Canning Town, where your life expectancy has dropped to 60-something. People living in poorer areas not only die sooner, but spend more of their lives with disability, on average a total difference of 70 years. So my point is that social determinants like poverty, like housing, like education, like poor environment, are indeed the major cause of ill health. That's what I would say. Uh, anybody like to disagree on the panel? Are you talking about poverty, financial poverty, or poverty of imagination? Oh dear. I'm talking about poverty of imagination, of, you know, all sorts of things, of ideas about new ways I'm of doing sorry, things. David's I'm given sorry, us a few. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This, this idea I'm of boiling poverty is down to poverty. No, no, no. I'm talking about We're people. seriously wealthy no. in this country. No. Right. right. Yeah. Go, Beth. Go to Wait, I'll give you a chance. Just continue for a moment and then I'll bring you in here. Yeah. Poverty here is not just about this lovely thing that politicians have to sing on about. It sounds great, this notion of poverty. What is real poverty? It's not having enough imagination to address our money. I mean, Though I am one on the subject of politics and poverty, Tony Blair's 1997 government, I watched it at close quarters, did the best I've ever seen for the health service in all my 35 years in it. It was incredible. But it, it addressed ideas, it had ambition, it had excitement and passion. And that is the poverty we're troubling from here. Not, not people starving in council right. estates, because okay. frankly, they're no. not. Diane, you come no, back. No, let's, let's not try and be too clever. Obviously, people on the council estates, people I represent, and I've just spent months knocking their on their doors every day mm. clearly and um, they're not starving but i have to tell you it may come as a shock to you they are experiencing absolute poverty and i'm telling you i'm telling you i'm telling you because this is why i'm in politics actually that yes absolute poverty absolute low incomes absolute poor housing absolute poor education absolute unclean air and a poor Diane. environment is a major I'm cause Diane. of ill health. Diane, I'm your consultant psychiatrist for your catchment area, your, your constituency. Your people, those people who are suffering from poverty, I agree they are. They are my patients. I know just how poor they are. And a few well, of them, don't quite a few, have, I'm not. I'm saying it's extremely serious. But what I'm saying is that if we set poverty up as the shibboleth of health, we forget the fact that a lot of these people have got mobile phones, for example. Oh, so no, that's no, okay, well, yeah. they need mobile right. phones. Okay. Right, Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? If the answer to that question is yes, subscribe to iai.tv for unlimited access to thousands of debates, talks, articles, academy courses and live events. Are you bored of the surface level news, politics, sports and entertainment coverage on your newsfeed? Go deeper, get the philosophy behind the news and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe and everything in between. It's free for the first month. And there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level. All right, all right. Dave, Natalie, I promised Natalie her chance here. Go, go down. All right, well, I've got to say, first of all, if you want to get Job Seekers Allowance, you need a mobile phone because you're going to have to be able to use that to. <laughs> Absolutely. A mobile phone is not a luxury. But, but, I'm, but I'm going to come in on a broader point, which is um, poverty. If you are suffering absolute poverty, and people in Britain today, millions of them, are suffering absolute poverty in that they fear they're not going to be able to put food on the table and keep a roof over their head. 
shelter in January found 11% of people paying a rental mortgage weren't sure they'd be able to meet that payment that month. Now, if you're living with that poverty, that fear, then I would defy you or anyone else to have the imagination, to have the space in your brain to imagine how you can live differently. But naturally, which brings naturally back to my point about poverty of imagination. But, but you agree? Naturally, well, isn't that rather? Whether that's not the causal situation, that's the resultant. But situation. naturally, aren't you it's being a rather? Argument. Uh, you, you could be called rather insulting to people, saying that you know you're implying they don't have the imagination, they don't have any sense of personal responsibility, and they can't take to a degree less than if they were well off hold of their own lives. Isn't no, that a rather condescending view to uh, take people? No, I'm, I'm saying that, that, that what we have in Britain is not a failure of aspiration. We have a few huge failure of opportunity. And one of the opportunities is the chance to have the space to think about building your life, changing your life, if you're worried about putting food on the table. All of us only have a limited amount of, of space. Yeah, but hold and, 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 if, and if you're not worrying about putting food on the table and, and paying the rent, then you have space to think about other things. But what do you say to somebody, um, who, who, a, a doctor who, in one of these areas, has somebody who comes along, asks for gastric bands, that operation is done, and then the individual goes back to the same form of behaviour, eating, whatever, as beforehand. Well do you not say to that individual, there is a personal responsibility here for you, for your family, to behave in a different way now? But, but you're asking the question of in terms of you know, what's rational behaviour. If you only have a pound to feed your family that night, sure, you might go out and buy you know, some lentils and then you're going to have to cook them on the stove for an hour and how much energy will that use and how much is that going to cost? But then you feed it to your kids and they won't eat it. And then an hour later, you've got a group of hungry kids there. You can't just say to people, change your life when there's nothing in the circumstances but of their life that gives them the opportunity to change their But the Green Party is all about telling people to change their lives. No, absolutely not. The Green Party is not concerned with individual behaviour. What we want to do is make the healthy, environmentally friendly, you know, good thing to do, the cheapest, simplest and easiest thing to do, and that means system, economic and social change, not individual behaviour but, but, you know, somebody could say, well, you're going to have to wait till the cows come home. You're effectively saying we can't do anything until there's dramatic social change. No. Well, I, I'm saying we could make the minimum wage no. a living if wage tomorrow, and that would do an enormous amount to improve health. People always say that about public health. The argument is, oh, you must take personal responsibility. There's nothing the state can do. Look at smoking. We have driven down levels of smoking. And in relation to that, we have driven down levels of childhood asthma by intervention. You can, as government, either take personal responsibility or you can be the Pontius Pilate government, wash your hands of people, particularly children, or you can seek to intervene. We intervened in smoking, some of it under a Labour government. I'm trying not to pass it, but some of it under a Labour government. And it brought levels of smoking down. You can intervene to get better public health outcomes. And talking about, you know, poverty imagination doesn't do it. Let's see how we can make it possible for my constituents to buy healthy food within walking distance of, of their home. Let's see how we can make it possible for schools to cook healthy meals and encourage children to eat healthy younger. Let's not just go into that. Poverty, poverty imagination. Accuse politicians of poverty of imagination if you like, but don't I accuse do. my don't accuse my constituents right. who are queuing up at food uh, banks. Uh, can we say at the moment then we're all agreed that poverty is a cause of well, illness? I don't know, he's not. He can we? Yeah, not the main it's, cause, it's, 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 a cause. It is a significant cause. Right. Can social justice provide a viable alternative to medicine, or actually is a central element to the improvement of public health? What's your view? 
when you <coughs> talk about an alternative uh, uh, to medicine, medicine was just one of the components about producing health. And health isn't a thing that an individual ever produces on their own. It's not a case of just going home and taking the pill or whatever. Health is a thing that gets produced by communities, and usually at the heart of this exercise is women. And part of the problem at the moment is we've got an industry preying on the fears of women, which mean they bring their kids along at an earlier age to get treated for ADHD, bring their husbands along to get treated, bring their parents along to get treated. These are the issues that need to be looked at. So it's not social justice or, uh, on uh, the one hand or health on the other hand. Just come back to the themes raised earlier. The greatest poverty we've got at the moment is we've all become individuals. We used to be communities, South Walian coalfield communities maintained a bit of health by being communities. Cuba is much poorer than the United States, but it's it had a better life expectancy and better health because it was a community the way the United States isn't. That's where the problem is. Increased social cohesion has always led to improved general levels of health. In war, Cuba, there are many, many examples. And the increasing atomization with the unwise focus on the rights, the demands, the commodification of health for the individual takes away some of the, you're not going to like this one either, the necessary <coughs> hardships of life that form friendship and community links and bonds. Trade unions, church, nuclear family, love, trust, respect, borrowing a cup of sugar from your neighbor, that keeps you well. And when I talk about a poverty of imagination, I'm talking about a poverty, what it means to be a society. That's my point. And if you really want to get people healthier and better, people with friends who stroke cats and get loved have a much lower, lower incidence of infection. Fact. That's just as much up there as starvation and having a pound a night to give McDonald's to the kids because they won't eat Jamie Oliver's Twizzle Burger or whatever it is. The fact of the matter is that poverty, when it comes to food and environment, is only one small thing. It's the emotional environment. The emotional poverty that we are mass-producing for ourselves is the real problem. Uh, can I just ask one thing that's slightly difficult uh, for me after this description of the disastrous state of our society is that we're living longer and we're healthier than we've ever been. We're bloody more miserable as well. Well, you're all talking about happiness, which is another question. If it is well, all as bad as you're indicating, why are we, in, on the whole, in better health? Well, well, <laughs> where, where, where we're actually going, though, in terms of we're in a situation where we're seeing, um, some in some parts of America this is already happening, is life expectancies are reversing, they're going backwards. We're seeing the situation with doctors are predicting with the levels of childhood obesity and young adult obesity we've got now, that future generations are going to live for shorter periods. Yeah, but I've just... Uh, so well so, 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 so and also but you can't drive... Uh, I've just driven down here uh, uh, the today, and there are more cyclists on the road, and there are more people jogging. Yes, partly you're uh, uh, true, but there's another uh, uh, side, isn't there? Uh, well, well uh, for those people who have the time and the luxury to buy the bicycle... To and jog? The time to, the, to, and well, the time to walk and, and you know, buy the, the clothes and all the rest of it. But, but I want to come to another point, because we've been talking about health a lot in terms of physical health. But the other thing, that what we need to focus on is mental health. And we have rising, documented rising levels of mental ill health in our society, and particularly among adolescents, hugely rising levels of mental ill health. And do you think this a is... A sorry, can I just ask you a question? What you're talking about, you know, could, could I ask you, do you think we are, we are suffering from rising amounts of ill health, or we're only just now diagnosing more accurately the nature of ill 
mental health. I people would have no, not noticed before. I think we are coming to construe. Here we go again. Misplaced faith in technology in simple categories again. We are coming to invest excessive expectation in categorical. You've got this illness, and there's a fix for no, it. Let me, let me, let me, let me just come in. We are medicalizing I mean, distress. That's what we're doing. Roger's talking about real illnesses. Yes. We didn't have breast cancer in the hey. 19th century. We only got lung cancer during the 20th century. What we've got so is you don't a mean bunch of diseases that we didn't have before: heart attack, coronary heart attack, 20th century linked into. Changes in what do you mean? You didn't name them or we no, didn't know about them? No, we certainly we had them. We didn't have them. No, no, it, much rarer. Very, very rare. No, we had them. No, it's absurd, please. No, 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 no. Suggest. If you go back and have a look. That there were no heart attacks, no heart problems. No, hang on. It's not absurd. No. Coronary heart attacks of the kinds we have now are a 20th century. Is it 20th century? Okay. Is it 20th century? Yeah, no, but, no, but the thing, no, but the, hang on, the point, the, the point to keep in mind here is that a lot of these things get produced by Corporations that are persuading us to smoke. Corporations that are putting lead in the air and in the water and things like that. And selling statins. What you need, what you need is a community focus on where are our diseases coming from. So what do you think? Would you head to hospital if you were run over by a bus? Let us know by tweeting at iai underscore tv with the hashtag philosophy for our times. And don't forget to tune in next week when we'll be tackling the meaning of life with philosopher Mark Rowlands.